With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Wasn't the world supposed to end like three months ago or the seven months ago? Whatever it was supposed to be. I can't remember how flowed anything like that. Anyways, people, I have survived. I was at Comic Con these last couple of days. It was good to go down, get out of LA, hang out with the crew. You know, we're all spread out across pretty much the entire continent and the world. So it was good to see a lot of us, you know, in one space and one place, just hanging out, doing our stuff. And it was very interesting, you know, what I've seen <laughs> these last couple of years reference to our Comic Con has been, it has uh, morphed into more of a show expo for Hollywood TV and film and, you know, the comic books that these these movies are based on is kind of like in this little corner by the fire exit, kind of like where they kept Django or something like that. It's like, my God, what is happening? But that was a good trip. Much has been happening since we last conversed. You know, the president has given his speech, his words off the cuff in reference to the Trayvon Martin situation, so you know we're definitely going to cut into that, talk about that a little bit. It's kind of long, so I didn't want to play it today. We'll just touch on it, but it brought up a couple of issues that had to do with something that I've always talked to about a lot with my classmates, classmates with my uh, students and friends and what have you, and that's just a matter of race, but we'll get to that later on. You know, we got to talk about some domestic issues, got to talk about some international issues. Usually I play a clip, but today I want to keep it mostly, uh, I want to keep it a little light you know, not so heavy as before, but just a little light, we shall see. Uh, to all you listeners out there, my God, you guys, hundreds and hundreds, when you keep turning, tuning in, I see the numbers, I want to say thank you. But I'm still waiting on what you want me to talk about that has to do with you for my Word on the Street segment. And for those that's not familiar with Word on the Street, it's a segment that I do. Did I just say a segment like five minutes ago or 30 seconds ago? But anyway, it's a segment that I do where I profile people in the community, in the world at large in the society today. Yes, that's a self-plug right there for the show. 
And if you're working in the community, working with kids, or you're doing something, a nonprofit, or you're teaching, or whatever you may, you're doing, I want to know about it, set you up, schedule for like 30 minutes, 45 minutes, you know, we just have a conversation about you. We talk about you, and we let people know what you are doing. I don't care where on the planet you are. We have a show next week with uh, Shawnee and Chanel Gibbs, the twins, who have done um, an earlier, um, they had a project years back, go check it out, called Adopted by Aliens. Cool project, again, it's called Adopted by Aliens, and now involved also with another project called Fashion Forward. We have them locked down for next Sunday, I believe it's 3 o'clock, so that should be a nice groove with that whole thing flowing, so we're going to definitely do that. Also, we have an interview with, uh, when I was down there in San Diego, I got a chance to hang out with uh, my younger brother, Holonji Kadima, a.k.a. Cognac, that brother. Let me tell you, whew, he has the studio in, in the hut doing his thing, and, you know, I saw him perform a little while ago out here at Lincoln Heights outside of L.A., so that was a blast checking that out. And then he exposed me um, while I was down there. He's worked with another um, artist from back home because he's Congolese like I am, born back home like I am, like I was. And we grew up here like we both did, so we know both cultures. I think they call it the bridge generation. He uh, hit me to this other Congolese artist named John, I think her name is Jane Cayende. Is it Cayende? I think it's Cayende over in New Mexico. And, you know, I never heard of this young sister, but he played some of her cuts while we were in the, in, in the whip going down to the show, Comic-Con, San Diego. And we were just talking, and at one point, you know, I'm hearing house music in the back. I said, wait, 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 wait. Is that her? He goes, yeah. I was done. That was it for me. It was this nice house cut that you'd hear like on a essential, essential over there in Britain or something like that. You know what I mean? So it was like kind of tight, really good. So I definitely want to get her on the mix. And it actually worked out well because, you know, I have a show coming up called uh, Congo Musica where I'm just going to play music by Congolese artists here in the United States because, you know, we know the Kofi's. The Follies, the, the Papa Wemba, Taboulet, um, Franco, we know that generation, you know, Warrison and stuff like that. But outside of Folly, we don't really focus on the younger generation like Cognac, uh, Jane, Kiende, uh, uh, Young Dave, Young Maya, and all these other cats. So we're going to rock that probably next Saturday or something like that. But look, we got to talk about some business, some domestic stuff. I want to give a quick shout-out. I'm going to do a little, little dedication later on the show to uh, my girl out there on the East Coast, Dawn Douglas, the rider. She rides a motorcycle, and that's one of my dreams, to get that license, to get a motorcycle. I've always, I've always, always want to get a motorcycle, like really, get one of those, and fly in the F4 Phantom. Those are two of my things, I guess you call it the bucket list. I wanted to meet Prince. I was actually in a video with him, so that's done. I did another video with Sting, so that's done. I did a commercial with uh, Julio Iglesias, that's done. I saw the Righteous Brothers. That's done. I saw Morris the day, Morris day of the time back in the day when they was up there back in the day. That's done. But one thing I always want to do is fly in an F4 Phantom and get a motorcycle. So I can just ride from here to San Diego. So it's her birthday today. I think she's like all of 18. You know, she looked young. But, you know, because women ain't getting up that age. But, you know, it's her birthday. Was it, was it yesterday? But either, either way, today's her birthday. So later on in the show, I'm going to give her a little shout-out. You know, I can't play uh, – the best of gangster lean <laughs> because that's not her CeeLo when it comes to music. But we're going to get into some stuff here and do our things and stuff like that. So, hey, look, let me do a little quick uh, musical interlude, if you don't mind. Let me see. You know, actually, I want to hook her up now because, you know, she got a lot of stuff going on and, you know, she may tune in and like, wait, 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 where am I? Where am I? Where am I? So I'm going to give her um, uh, uh, 
I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Like, what do I get? What do I want to get? I don't know. Oh, let's see. Uh, let me see. Um, you know what? I'm gonna hook up twice. I'm gonna hook up. I'm gonna give her a little cut now, and then I'm gonna creep in something later on um, about some stuff, and we'll take it from there. But you know, let me give a. She's over on the, on the East Coast, so uh, it won't be some house yet. But it will be a little house. But you know, in, in about a month and a half, August 20th is my birthday, and that's when. Um, that's the 50th anniversary of when um, Dr. King gave his I Have a Dream speech. You know, I was born on that day. He made a speech. So I knew I was equal greatness. That's just a little extra. So you know you're gonna be. You know what you're gonna be hearing that day. You're gonna be hearing I Have a Dream. That one day, you know, stuff like that. I'm not. I'm not going to do the whole speech because I might mix it up a little bit. All right. That one day, a young black man can walk home and not have to worry about being shot by a person he's never seen before, because my eyes. But let me stop. You're going to be hearing that all day. It's like Black History Month. You hear all these guys and ladies in February. Then the minute it becomes, what's it, February, March, April? April 1st. No, January, February, March. Yeah, March 1st. You don't hear from me anymore. So let's give you a little East Coast flavor of I Have a Dream because you're going to be hearing this a lot. But let's give this a shout. Let's use that context for uh, my girl Dawn out there because, you know, she's doing acting. And, you know, it's not an easy industry to get into. Um, you know, they're very, people are very interesting in the industry. And in fact, I'm going to touch on that because there was a panel on, like, uh, held by casting directors down there in Comic-Con. And I want to share some of the insight. It was very profound. So in today's entertainment, when we talk about movies and things like that, I'm going to touch on that. But she's uh, in beef with my girl, Sufe Bradshaw, who I worked with before. And she's doing her thing. You know, she's actually in this project, um, this uh, short we're working on. It has to do with, like, you know, alien invasion and all the good stuff. Where she, you know, she's on the motorcycle. It was kind of interesting that when we put the call out, I had to put on a website that we're looking for an actress, you know, sister that can ride a motorcycle. You know, I think, <laughs> you know, we had people say they could ride a motorcycle, but then, you know, when I had my friends talking about motorcycles, they it was more like they could sit on the motorcycle in a poster shot. Don rides, <laughs> so yes, we like our actors and actresses to come prepackaged because we ain't got no budget to be training folks and getting stunt doubles. You know, this is an Avengers or you know. Uh, uh, was an underworld and like that. So, but I thought it's, I think it's very interesting that she's way on the East Coast. And I'm out here in L.A. So, but she, you know, she has a dream where she wants to go, and I'm sure she's living her dreams right now. And there's other ones she has, as we all have. But I think sometimes what people do is when they get a little discouraged, they say, you know what, I can't do this anymore, and they kind of use that to step back and say, I'm gonna do something different. And then they go through life saying, oh my God, what did I do? What was I thinking? What have I done? Oh, I should have, could have, would have. I've never lived my life like that. Maybe when I was in the military when I said, ah, I should have stayed in. But I should have stayed in, but it was fun. So my thing is for all you guys out there and all you ladies that have a dream, hold on to it. Don't give it up. It might seem like a challenge, but if you look around, you don't see your friends trying to follow your dream. They, they, they don't have the kind of dream you have. In fact, a lot, often, most, a lot of our friends have to get up on their own dreams, and they're not really supportive of you and you have your dreams because you remind them of, Stuff that they give a long time ago. But anyways, so let's give you a, a little different version of how I have a dream. And we'll have this one of two shout-outs to my girl out there, Don Douglas, the great, the awesome. She's so cool. Her first and last name stops the same letter. I mean, how gangster is that? Can you, can you talk that? All right, people, let's ride. Don, if you're out there in the world, probably riding on the 405 or something like that, on a modified BMX or BMW or something like that, this is for you. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da
one goal. We face the difficulties of today and tomorrow. I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream. One day, this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and the sons of former slaves will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. My poor little children one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Mountain 
Bronx and New York. That freedom ring from the heightening alligators of Pennsylvania. That freedom ring from the snow-capped rockets of Colorado. That freedom ring from the crevices swamps of California. But not only that, that freedom ring from the stone mountain of Georgia. That freedom ring from lookout mountain of Tennessee. That freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual. Free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Well, I was looking for some baby powder because, you know, house music is my stuff back in the day. You know, we get down and Whatever, whatever. You don't go to the club to look looking all cute, leaning against the speaker. You go out there to do some work on the floor. So you got to have some proper, I'm telling you, know, that dollar store baby powder that, you know, you put, like, you, you drop, you open it up, and it falls on the floor, and, like, the whole room is filled, you know, white stuff, folks looking like, you know, West Indian Carnival at the back. But, yo. Anyway, you know, that's, I think, a very interesting, first off, that's uh, one of two uh, shout-outs to my girl out there on the on the east side. West, uh, east of the West Side, uh, Don Douglas, the legendary. You know, I can't, I can't really. I, I look, I. It's weird because a lot of times, and I'm talking about, you know, when it comes to having a dream. A lot of times, things that have happened to me, I've spoken of. And one, the story that uh, I put together, and I was looking for someone that could ride, and I definitely wanted a sister that could ride. You know, was um, it came to me, and I said, you know, God, I, you know, I talked to the ancestors. I said, you know, I just. Find me someone, I don't care where they are, I don't care how you do it, just that can, you know, ride a bike and an axe and whatnot, all right? Make it a little easy. And black folk. And, you know, I came up, you know, we came across, and it was, I enjoyed talking with her, and she's, you know, another aspect that she, you know, knows science fiction. And the one struggle, and again, I'm going to touch on this when I get to the entertainment stuff, because I want to lead into our domestic stuff that I like to do with our shows first, is... A lot of our people, and I mean, you know, ethnic, black folks, whatever, um, in, in Hollywood, don't really have a lot of uh, experience with visual effects. And if you look at a lot of these movies, you might see one or two in the cut, but we don't really have a lot of experience with visual effects. And if you look the way this medium going, is, this medium is going, a lot of times they're looking for people that have that experience because it's very difficult to act opposite something that is not there. I mean, we see a lot of people that, we, you know, we see a lot of people, people doing that on the street anyways. <laughs> you know, they're talking, interacting with things that aren't really there. Some of them are our friends. But that's a little different <laughs> if we're talking about it too. And plus, it just takes a long time to put it together because you have to get the right crew and locate. It's just really a challenge. But when the story hit me, you know, a lot of times when the story hits me and I can see the visuals and I can hear the music, that's God and the answer to saying, okay, I need to do the story. So this story I'm kind of aching to do. So we're going to probably do the graphic novel first and then, um, you know, talk to her about, you know, using her image in there. You know, you got to pay them because, you know, they're actors and stuff like that. You know, some folks are like, hold up, hold up. 
But, you know, because I like, you know, I publish comic books and graphic novels, which is very interesting because a lot of people don't know I do that. But it's a story that, you know, I think creators know this, particularly writers, that you write a story and you see the whole story in your head. And it just gives you a headache because you just want to get it out in reality. So that's what I want to do with this story. Uh, for now, it's called Ezekiel, but I might call it something else. So I just gave it that name for now and stuff like that. Now, you know, now let's get back to this groove in reference to uh, domestic stuff here. And we're talking about race, creed, and things like that. We know, we already know people heard about, we heard um, President Obama's speech the other day. Um, I believe it was uh, yesterday, from what I understand. I was in San Diego, so I don't know if it was yesterday or it took place Friday, and I just found out yesterday. But it was very profound on some of the things that he had talked about because it's not just what he spoke on that really caught my attention and I was really happy to hear him speak on. But it was, it's was it been the reaction to what he spoke on because it seems to be that people want to have this conversation on race. But there seems to be one camp that wants to have this conversation on race. And another camp that doesn't want to have that conversation on race. And ironically, both those camps exist in, we'll say in this case, the Anglo community. And we'll say also in the black community. Because it just seems that, you know, I was watching uh, Meet the Press today. And, you know, may I touch more on this later on. But the thing that kind of got me very interesting is that, one, I didn't like the fact that they had all these old folks up there. I mean, they had like Tavis Smiley, but they had all these folks in like the civil rights era and stuff like that, blah, blah, blah. They didn't really have the people from the street who could speak on what's, you know, what's happening to them on the ground and things like that. But what's happening is that essentially what the president spoke on, if you haven't heard on it, whatever, maybe I'll play it for you later on, is that he talked about what it was like being a black male in this country. And earlier in the day, I was talking to my uncle in San Diego when I felt that I didn't feel, I felt that he wasn't really out there speaking on the whole scenario. Like, he didn't really make a comment or anything like that. That's what I felt. And, again, I was totally unaware that he had spoken, you know, on this groove until Mom told me. And I'm not going to give it away. What I'll probably do is I'll see if our producer over here can get us a copy that uploaded or something like that to our groove. But it's amazing how people really are almost... I'm trying to find the right words here because, you know, as a foreigner myself, as an immigrant myself, I know I see things a little different, but as a black-skinned male in in the United States, and, you know, I do have that experience, and I think one thing that was very profound is when he talked about how certain things that would happen to him as a black male, and people were reacting as though he was saying something that he was making up. But Gwen Eiffel, I believe she was on Face the Nation when she spoke on the subject, she spoke about how, and you know, Gwen Eiffel, she brings the mission all the time. But she spoke how every black male that she knows, and she knows a whole lot of black males, she knows a lot of them, could relate to the things that the president was speaking about in reference to this happening and that happening and that happening. It's interesting how people were, were so vile towards him making those statements. I think that was his way of saying to the people, look, I understand exactly how you're feeling because I know how I know how it gets down on the street when your melanin count is just a little higher than a lot of other people. I think he was also, I feel he was also speaking to America, saying, look, you're sitting over there 
wondering why they're reacting this way. Now, I'm not condoning the violence that took place in L.A. and things like that. No, I'm not doing that's not my That's not my stilo. But what I believe he was doing was speaking to America to say, look, this is why they're reacting the way they are. And as Paul Mooney said some time ago, I think when he was talking to um, Tavis Smiley or something like that, he was being with Dick Gregory, and you know how those two get down. Paul Mooney made a comment that white people or Anglos, as we say back home, don't have to think about race. They can go through the day and do what they do and not really think about if someone's reacting to them based on the complexion of their skin. I mean, they, you know, our Jewish brothers may think, the citizens may think someone's reacting to them based on their, um, their face. Um, our Italian brothers, you know, Boston, you know, you want to know how Boston was when Mayor Menino got elected, you know, because the police ran, you know, was run by the uh, was run by the Irish, and the Irish was kind of running that city. When Mayor Menino got elected, they were like, oh, my God, here come the Italians. So, you know, you want to look how, how uh, Irish people were treated. Look back in the day in some history and see a lot of the characters of our Irish brothers and sisters, see how it seems very similar to how they portray the Jews and black folks overall. But I feel that the president was speaking to the nations to say, look, they are looking. It's almost like the Jeremiah Wright thing when he had said, the people are looking at these things through a, through a certain context. The certain context is X, Y, and Z. That X, Y, and Z I experienced myself. That's what I think he's saying. But when you see people on Fox or any, or any other places, Talking about, oh, now he's the racist in chief, and, you know, he wants to start a race war now, and all those kind of things. You're, 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 you're like, wait a minute. When he talks about supporting Israel in this situation, that's, that's no problem, no comment. When he talks about the Middle East, that's no problem. When he talks about Syria, that's no problem. When he talks about um, the country's national interests across, across the world, that's no problem. When he talks about jobs or whatever, that's no problem. When he talks about, you know, Obamacare or whatever, and, you know, we have time to touch on that, that's no problem. But the minute he talks about race, it becomes a problem. You know, Joseph Lieberman back in the day, he said when he was running for office, he said this. He goes, um, should I be elected president, I'm not going to work on the Sabbath. I didn't see any massive outcry or anything like that. I didn't hear anything. But it's like people, I think, um, I think on one camp, people so desperately want to find anything that's going to, Tell them that the race issues are not happening anymore. But they do happen. They happen to black folks. They happen to brown folks. They ha- it happens to Asian folks. It happens to people of different orientation, what have you, different religion, whatever, different nationalities. And now you have the biggest, you have the, 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 the rise in, in overt sexism towards women coming out right now in reference to the law that was, if you heard on my previous show, the law passed on in Texas and things like that. But he spoke in a way, and I, I think I'll probably play that for you. I'll give you a little clip of that later on, maybe not the whole thing. But he was telling America this is where he's coming from. But w- what what is wrong for him to to speak on an issue that he's had experience on? Is he supposed to get up there and talk about what it's like to be um, pregnant? He has no idea. You know, Is he supposed to get up there and talk about what it's like to be, uh, you know, five foot one? No. He's speaking on the issue, and he spoke on a way that spoke to two camps at once. One camp, I understand what you're feeling out there. I understand where you're coming from in there. I know exactly what you're talking about. This is how I feel. And to let you know, it has happened to me. And people were so stunned to hear that because I think if you're in the community, 
you often wonder, particularly if you're a black man, you often wonder if you are public enemy number one. All right. But conversely, let's not make it all just about racism and things like that. Let's keep this in mind. A lot of these images of black folks, you know, are in media and Hollywood are by black folks. Let's not get it twisted. When you see a lot of these rap videos coming up, I'm not talking about the cool rap stuff, you know, that's really chill with blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about gangster lean rap, where we're just portraying ourselves as criminals and not showing the context of the criminality. You're, and you're living in a culture where you don't really, you don't have experience with, you know, or interaction with black folks. Because there are places in this country where you don't have to see, you know, not, you know, black folks if you don't want to, or even Latino folks. But a lot of the images we show in movies, a lot of the images we put in music, I'm not talking about the music that talks about what's happening in the community. I'm talking about the music that's talking about, I just robbed you and shot you, and I raped your mother, mother and oh, I'm going to go to church right now. When we show those kind of images, other people are seeing those images, not just in this country, but around the world, where they think it's okay to say bitch to a black woman, or nigga this, or nigga that, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. It's almost, you know why? Because they see us doing it in media. So out the conversation I would like to see, I'm not really interested in a conversation on race. Race, A conversation on race doesn't pay the rent. A conversation on race doesn't pay your health care. I can see a conversation on jobs because jobs has a funny way of, like, really uplifting a community. I can see a conversation on the high job on race. I said about my Latino brothers and sisters. The conversation about immigration is one thing, but what does that matter if you have 50%, 51%, 60% of Latino males dropping out of high school? And these are the ones who, who are legally country. Those are the conversations I want to see. But I don't want to see a conversation where we just talk about it because what's that supposed to do? If you're in a relationship, you talk about the problem. That's nice. But if there's no incentive or no drive to resolve the problem, then what's the point? And I think also something that he deflected criticism of the president when he did that speech yesterday. Because what I feel is that I wasn't really too cool with the beer summit he did with Henry Louis Gates. It's like when it affects his Ivy League friends, oh, let's have a beer summit and let's call the police. But when it affects people on the street, he's kind of like a little hands-off. But he's kind of like that with the policy. But in this context, I just think that the speech really should be taken the context that he's speaking to reality that's happening right that's happening right now. When every time you turn around, yes, see black on black crime, but you see a lot of white on white crime. You at least you see stand your ground and ask the question about stand your ground. And stand your ground is very interesting because I said on my last show when we talked about it, you know. There was a case of the black guy who was asking something with some kids, little Anglos, whatever. The father of the eight-year-old girl who's Anglo came and told the guy, stop bombing the children. And the black guy pulled out a gun and gunned the, and shot the father dead from his eight-year-old daughter. And he claimed when the police came, he came, he claimed stand your ground and wasn't arrested. So what is going on here? It's just the law. Yes, the law is kind of whack on one component. But well, the issue that the president spoke on, I just think it was very pay because – You'd be surprised, you know, my experience just walking down the street. And it's not just coming from Anglos. Sometimes it's coming from other ethnicities because being L.A., you know, I have to put it out there. The Latinos, you know, I met a lot of Latinos whose vibe are just like a lot of these Anglos who have negative opinions towards blacks. I experienced it yesterday in San Diego, waiting for the bus, when I wanted to grab the metal detector and ram it down the guy's throat um, for the way he was talking to me. But I said, you know what, I just got the number, I'm going to file a complaint. But go see a movie, uh, Class Apart, that talks about uh, a lawsuit in Texas where after the Mexican Civil War, um, the Spanish-American War, Mexicans in that region that, that used to be Mexico were classified as white, but they were still treated as non-white. And a lot of the Latinos at that time took on that attitude of like, yeah, we're white. We don't want to be like them black folks down there. 
So I think the conversation needs to be a real conversation about why is it that everybody thinks it's okay to be discriminatory discriminatory towards some black folks. You know what I mean? So let me get a little break here. You know, I got my little musical interlude and things like that, whatever. So I want to keep it a little light today. Yes, 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 yes. I'll keep it light. Cause, you know, I can get really deep for like two hours, but I want it to be a speech or anything like that. But let me get a little music here, a, a little break and things like that, and we'll, we'll see what's going on. I think we have a caller, actually. A, a, a caller from 410. What's going on? How you feeling? Is this IAs? Yes, it is. Is this immigration? No. This is oh, okay. What's up, girl? <laughs> <laughs> I am so sorry. 16. I am so sorry. I didn't realize you were on hold. No, that's okay. I'm like 60 years old. All right. But okay. Oh. <laughs> that's, 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 you know, that's, I thought it was a lotion, but, you know, folks don't be, you know, aging. I mean, I wanted to say 17, but I don't want to, like, you know, put you up there or anything like that. No, no. I'm going for 26. <laughs> 26? Yeah. I still getting hired at the store. Don't don't lie. You know you go buy something. Look at want to see your ID, girl. You know you're looking kind of young. Hey, happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> you're not right out there. I didn't know you even on yeah. the air. My apologies. I have like this big council in front of me, and I'm hands all over the place. And I happen to look up and say, wait, a minute, who's calling me? Is that like someone that owed me? Like, that I know? <laughs> so, <laughs> young lady, I hope, uh, hope you're enjoying. Hope you're enjoying the show as you're on air. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm liking it. So I'm like, all right, got something new to uh, listen to now. <laughs> I'm here every Sunday. What topic you want to touch on? What topic you want to touch on? Ah, uh, jeez, I don't know. I mean, what you said about um, the president's speech, I mean, um, I caught some of it, and, you know, he's speaking from his experience and and what most um, African-American males experience. Um, even some you know, African American women, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and there's a lot of denial of people with non color mm-hmm. when it comes to um how people perceive things. Because when right. I was watching some of the George Zimmerman and Zimmerman trial and some of the pundits, I noticed mm-hmm. that a lot of the non um um a lot of the white pundits they were for Zimmerman, and mm-hmm. they weren't take, taking in consideration what um, Trayvon Martin might have been going through. Because it's mm. it's a funny feeling when you have somebody following you, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then and then you know approaching you, asking you, "What are you doing here?" When it's like, mm-hmm. "Why are you even asking me this question? You have mm-hmm. no right to ask me what what I'm doing here." It's my mm-hmm. right to be here. You know, I'm not doing anything wrong. So, who gives you the right to approach me and ask me what am I doing here? Right, you know, right. Especially, especially a gated community, and I'm walking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you need a, a pass card just to get through the gate. You know. <laughs> right, right. You, you see me like hop over the wall or something like that. You see a rope come down from the tree and a, and a catapult. No, I walked in. Yeah, and it also brings back, because um, I was engaged to um, a white guy, and he lives mm-hmm. down in Port St. Lucie. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, talking with him, I said, you don't have to worry about people questioning your being here. Mm-hmm. People will question me. 
because, you know, mm-hmm. Port St. Lucie is, like, part of the, you know, Richard County and uh, mm-hmm. Florida, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, being an interracial couple, mm-hmm. you're going to have to deal with some things. And can mm-hmm. you handle it, mm-hmm. you know, because it's a whole other ball of wax. And, right, and, right. and especially if you have um, children, how are you going to deal with people you know, coming at you with negativity, you know, mm-hmm. people who don't even know you, and you're in the real estate business, and you want me to work with you in your real estate business, I don't think that's going to work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's like, you know, here, if I show up, you're trying to sell a house. Nine times out of ten, you might not sell a house because I show up. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Exactly. It's interesting because you touched on an aspect of of, of um, uh, the pundit supporting Zimmerman and and Trayvon being followed. And I spoke this on my last show. And I definitely you actually gave me a topic down. The way I want to do is the aspect for Black women um, in the culture because I think you know there are a lot of per- perpetrators of the negativity that's heaved on our sisters that comes from Black males also. So I'm definitely going to figure out a way, or we can figure out a way to do a, a segment on that. The thing coming back to Zimmerman was what that really stuck me out is that. The, his friend, um, Trayvon's friend, Rachel, has said that when um, Trayvon's on the phone, the last she heard was Trayvon saying, yelling someone, get off me, or get off with that, yeah. which means to me he's being grabbed by somebody. Now, exactly. It, and it, the record, and it's like, go ahead, go ahead. Mm-hmm. So, and it's like, how could those jurors discount that? Because, one, George Zimmerman was their aggressor, mm-hmm. and Trayvon apparently was defending himself, and then he's going to get shot and killed because he's defending himself. And then they're going to, tr- you know, put him on trial for defending his own life. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. that's not right. And and people of uh, non-color don't seem to understand that or they discount it. Right, or right, right. Or they just go straight for, well, Zimmerman was defending himself. No, he was the aggressor. Yeah. Had he stayed in the car, mm-hmm. you know, he would have been all right, you know. And you're on a neighborhood mm-hmm. watch. Just because Florida is a right-to-carry state and all that, you're on a neighborhood watch. You do not take a weapon with you on that watch. Mm-hmm. You, on you watch. <laughs> you <Yeah>. watch. <laughs> That's what you do. Yeah. That's so, you know, either way, Zimmerman's life is over, as you know, that, you know, it's like, dude, you do fudged <laughs> up. <laughs> well, do you think, Based on what the president did, man, because I think maybe we'll just, I'll just go beyond our hour today. We can just, because I definitely want to make sure people hear that. Do you think, how, what's your vibe on this whole conversation about race all of a sudden? Because for me, these things have been happening. You know, I look at the schools, 62 closed in Chicago, the president's home state. I look at a lot of these communities, unemployment's running rampant, and I'm just seeing people almost being forced to fight against each other. But somehow this case, and we understand the context of the case. But how do you feel about now people are talking about there should be a conversation on race? Like, what's your vibe yeah. on that? Do you think that's just kind of like the, uh, the, the the theme for today, or what's your vibe on that? There should always be a conversation because if you don't talk about it, you're going to repeat the the travesties that's going on and has gone mm-hmm. on. Right. Um, oh, some of this stuff is held over from back in slavery days. So a lot of people, and slavery was a holocaust in and of itself. Right, right. And 
when you're dealing with that kind of a holocaust and people viewing a certain set of race, a group of people, as objects or not human, mm. and it's carried over and perpetrated up to like the late 20th, early 21st century, mm. it's 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 a problem, and mm. and it's going to take a long, long time for perceptions to change. Mm -hmm. And if you don't talk about it and you avoid the topic, Mm -hmm. you want to sweep it under under the rug, it's Mm -hmm. not going to change. Right, right. And people have to be willing to open up to hear what the other person is saying. Right. That's the issue, I think, right there that's really becoming the problem is that there doesn't seem to be a willingness to hear because oftentimes I'm sure you've heard people say, well, that wasn't me, that was my ancestors. But, you know, I always thought that the people living in poverty now, they don't want to be in poverty, but the generation before them was in poverty because of a policy. And the generation before them was in poverty because of policy, and they're trying to get out. And it seems to be instead of, like, you know, maybe it wasn't you, (laughs) but, you know, you're in a position where you could actually do something. I mean, that's a good point. The people should want to have the conversation, but where do we go next? Where do we go next? Where, Where do we go next? Let's do it like this. Let me put you on hold. I'm going to do a little commercial break, give a little shout-out okay. here, and then we're going to come okay. back, and maybe we'll, maybe we'll slide in the president's speech, not the whole five-day, you know, we'll just cut in what, people, what he spoke on, and we'll take it from there. Okay? Okay. You sure you're right, right? Cool. I could have sworn, sworn you were like 16, 17, but, you know, hey, that's it. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Since you're you of age. I'll, I don't want to be, like, accused of, like, being jailbait. <laughs> hey, hey. My attitude is like this. You know, Hollywood, they, they might be older, but they like them looking young. So, you know, hey, whatever whatever works out. So hold on for one second. Okay. Let's give you All a little right. groove here, and we'll do something. If I lose you, I'm going to reach out to you again. So hold on. Okay. Let's All right. Another 
Your shout out, girl. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was, gonna, I, I was like, wait, I don't think you want to hear my gangster lean selection. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's your Erica Badu and a happy birthday to the girl who's actually of legal age. Oh, that's not that's not a conversation. But anyway, <laughs> since we have you on the hotline for your birthday, you know, and I, you know, again, I I always encourage people to come in live so we can because I really want to uh, uh, talk about what people do in the community. And I touched on earlier, you do acting and things like that out there in, in B-more, Maryland, on the East Coast and stuff like that. So how is it, what got you into that industry? Like, was there a moment? Was there a class you took? Or you just try something out and it flowed? And where do you want to go from, from what you're doing now? What's going on? Talk to us. Um, I got into acting. My background is a degree in fine arts, um, and I wanted to kind of keep in with that mm-hmm. since um, – and then having space to paint and all that because, you know, growing up, um, reading about Michelangelo Angelo and all them, um, they had sponsors. You don't have sponsors like that anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had to do something to, to keep me in my base element, and mm-hmm. acting was the next best thing right. and um, a way of expressing and stuff like that. 
And um, so I've been doing it for quite a while. Um, and eventually I want to get into doing some directing one day. Um, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I've helped out on some Prince films, um, like um, co-directing and stuff like that. Um, I've even helped some friends uh, get lead mm-hmm. parts in films. So it's just like, um, um, you know, the dabble in. Um, and right now I'm kind of working on a self-documentary-type film project, whatever you want to call it, um, about mm-hmm. traveling on the Underground Railroad. Um, mm. And I've been to, ooh, over 200 um, places, I think. Wow. Um, in the last, well, not last, um, two years, I've um, gone up into Canada and Nova Scotia. Wow. And um, and that got me started because one day I'm like, um, it's February, Black History Month and all that. And, mm. you know, people talking about Martha Luther King and, and Civil Rights Movement and all. And I'm like, you know what? Civil Rights Movement started way before him. People right, right. nowadays have forgotten who started, you know, like Frederick Douglass and, and Sojourner Truth and... and mm-hmm. And oh god, and and you know people of those caliber. I'm like they started it. So, mm-hmm. and let me travel somewhat in their footsteps mm-hmm. to see what it took for slaves to escape for freedom. Mm-hmm. And um, and one day I did some locations here in Maryland, and it took me all day just to hit maybe like. Eight places, right? And some places I had a double bag because, you know, I've been by there before. But I didn't even know mm. in my many travels and stuff. And so I'm like, oh my god, I was here, and I didn't even know it. Mm. And and if it took me all day just to yeah. hit these places, imagine on. And I'm on my motorcycle. Right. I'm wow. imagining one foot. How long it took for people to reach even one spot, right? Let alone another spot, and they all had to travel um, at night. Mm. You know, and this is taking people months, weeks, years to reach freedom in some cases. Mm-hmm. You know, and the number of people who lost their lives, and some of the places that I've, I've. Hit, like some of the like the Eastern Cemetery up in uh, Massachusetts, I kind of I started crying oh, yeah. because because it hit you like the, what it took back then to get there, you know, and, and mm-hmm. it's, it's very it's very humbling, right. very humbling, and and you know and. I think people should, once in their life, walk in the footsteps of their ancestors. Right. To get a better perspective of who they are and and where they are going. So, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> I always wonder, and thank you for sharing that, that you know, because obviously it's deeply personal, but as as the phrase I hate hearing in Hollywood, universal, in this case, it actually is in the context of reference to 
you know, the challenge is that if you really want something, you, ain't nothing stopping you. And the fact that you brought up something I never even thought about, because I remember I saw you doing a post and you was all over the place. I thought you was like a fugitive on the run or something like that. But <laughs> if if it's if for for people to do, you know, because I'm Africans, so we always say our captured Africans, we hate slaves, you know, that word, whatever. It kind of like makes us a non-entity. But for mm-hmm. people to want their freedom that bad that, as you would say, they would walk days, weeks, months, years just to get up to Massachusetts, and you you have the context of you just being on your bike. I always, why do you think, or how would you think that knowledge, if someone was to actually experience that, like really experience that, how do you think it would change their outlook on their own life in reference to reaching their goals or achieving something? Um, because we as humans tend to blind ourselves to who we are. Right. But we don't like facing who we are. And um, because, you know, when you got to look, look at yourself in the mirror, you've you got to face who you are as a person. And there are some things that you might not like about yourself. And if you find that, then it's going to be up to you, the individual, to decide whether you're going to change that to something better or continue to hide. And if you continue to hide, you're going to remain weak. But if you stand up and face what it is that you fear or, or you know, want to acknowledge and start changing about, then that's what really makes you stronger and make you more open to mm-hmm. other people or other experiences. That's, a, that's actually something I just be talking about. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Continue on. No, no, no. No, go ahead. It's something that reminds you know, I always think about the Jews when it comes to the Holocaust. You know, I teach also, and I notice that every year as part of the curriculum, they always talk about the Holocaust and what have you. But when it comes to, like, the black history aspect of the annihilation and the extermination and the enslavement and things like that, the only time that really comes up is when Black History Month comes around, they talk about, you know, the Africans getting off the boat. And I've always, I've always told people that, you know, there's always strength knowing that people are trying to annihilate you. And one thing about my our Jewish brothers and sisters that I that they bring up when they when they celebrate their holidays, whatever, is the fact that, you know, we've come out of bondage here, we've come out of bondage there, we've come out of almost near extermination here and we've survived and prospered. And I've always felt that our brothers and sisters say, Hey, look, don't you know, I know and we've kind of like been taught to be embarrassed about the enslavement, but you know, I would wish or hope that, you know, we look back and say, Look, we came you know, we got our independence in sixty in 1960 from the Belgians. We kicked them out. And the way they were treating us, I mean, when they first came, there was 40 million of us. When they left, there was 30. So for me, it's like we came out of that. We should use that to say, look, they tried to wipe us out, and we still rose. Here, I, I just, particularly in the classroom, I just don't see it either being taught or it's being avoided that, look, you came out of this genocidal environment and look how much you've accomplished. Embrace the fact that you've, 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 you've triumphed over that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I don't I really do, see it <laughs> these days. No, Go ahead, I'm sorry. because when, when I grew up, um, I used to read and I used to read about the kings and queens of Africa. Mm. I was almost, I used to read the Egyptian hieroglyphs, you know, I can't read them right. anymore. But it's still there. You know, it's still there. 
Yeah, but I knew about the the African part of my history. Right. They don't really teach that nowadays. You know, you know, you ask somebody who, um, um, you know, for Douglas's or or um, Sojourner Truth, they're like, who? Right. What? How did you not know these people? Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, and, and it just it just gives me and 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 Harriet Tubman, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, how could you not know these people? Mm-hmm. They help you, they help you get to here, right? You know, and and it's just like, what are they teaching you in school? <laughs> I, I'll tell you. <laughs> let me share with you. Let me show you the ways out here in L.A. Well, you know, because, you, know, you know, when we first, we grew up, my parents were academics, so we read, you know, you know, dad would read to me the Egyptian Book of the Dead, <laughs> you know, to go mm-hmm. to bed. Yeah. So, yeah. and coming from, you know, um, Boston, we were just around other cultures, Latino, whatever, whatever. And I'll never forget one of my star students, great student years ago. Um, he's a, a Mexican, and we were talking about culture. So I said, okay, well, let's, okay, let's put down the books. Let's talk about Simon Bolivar. And the class is like, you know, 80% Latino. Because it's not just black folks. A lot of Latinos aren't getting their culture in the classroom also. And that includes out here in L.A. So I said, tell me about Simon Bolivar. Had no clue. So I went around the room, no clue. And I sounded exactly how you sounded. How can you guys not know about Simon Bolivar? So let's try this again. Tell me about Napoleon, blah, 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 20 minutes. Tell me about, you know, Shakespeare, blah, 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 20 minutes, blah, blah, blah. Tell me about George Washington. Okay, blah, 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 20 minutes. Tell me about Simon Bolivar. Give me Che Guevara. Or boom, 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 nothing. And I was almost so insulted <laughs> that I said, okay, we have to change this paradigm. But I think what you brought up and what I brought up, it reminds me of a line that's in that great movie, Walkout, Rest in Peace, Sal, where the guy playing Sal, the teacher, he's asking these students, um, predominantly Latino students, Chicanas in East L.A., he's asking, okay, look for this person in this book. They look and they can't find them. Look for this person in that book. They look and they can't find them. Okay, look for this person in that book. They look and they can't, can't find them. And he's like, wait a minute, they're not in this book? Are you serious? And he goes, yeah, it's not in the book. He goes, he goes, this is the problem. You're being taught your history by people that don't know your history. And I think that's the biggest problem in education now when it comes to black, Latino, what have you. A lot of these teachers, even if they look like the population, don't know anything about the history that they're trying to teach them. So our kids are sitting back waiting for someone to teach them that instead of going out looking for the information like you did following the Underground Railroad. And I think that's an element that's missing. I can't wait to see that documentary. Can't wait to see it. Yeah, ah, thanks. Yeah don't, yeah, don't forget me at the, red, at, the, at the red carpet premiere. Don't forget to invite me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> definitely, yeah. So, like you know. it. Go ahead. So now you're in Veep now, right? You were doing Veep? We're gonna go yeah. beyond air for a little while. Go ahead. How that ha- how that happened? Yeah. Um, because <laughs> they some I don't know how, but um, certainly <laughs> they thought I worked the um they thought I worked the pilot. I never worked the pilot. Um, I was I worked on something else. Um, yeah. And I got called and and they said um you know was that available and I'm like sure. So you know I went in and. Um, from that day on, um, became part of the bullpen of, of Veep. And, um, and I got to say, I was so grateful and yeah. happy because um, 
the work around Maryland has dropped considerably um, for a while, and a lot of the crew has left the area because there's no work. Um, right. And then um, Maryland started um, um, upping the film incentive, so uh, which is great. You could up it some more. But um, Veep came in because um, I think Joey Louise Dreyfus, her mom, lives in the area. Okay. And um, um, so they brought the show in, and it was a godsend, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> and the, mm-hmm. the cast and crew, they are off the chain. They are mm-hmm. off the chain. Mm-hmm. And your girl, Sufi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just love her. Love her. Yeah, yeah she's crazy. And, um, and um, you know, a lot of some of the guys, they're from out of out of town, um, you know, L.A., Texas, and stuff like that. And I think, like, when they came here, they learned um, how Baltimore is a very um, hospitable town and city. And and um, we, we tend to, like, don't care how big wig they are. Like, mm-hmm. it's part of the family, so, you know. Right, right. Yeah, so it's really cool. It's really cool. And yeah, they're coming back. Sorry. They're coming back for a third season. Like, yes. Oh, I know you're happy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Seeing that the yeah. show's in Baltimore, question for you, you brought up something about rep. I know how we get. We're like, you know, we don't care about you. Now, I'm coming from Boston. You know, you know, we're like, we, we don't care about your title, man. It's like, can you get down or can you not get down? That's all we care about. It, right. does, the fact that shoots in Baltimore, does it help break the image of Baltimore being portrayed as the wire. Um, Maybe just for the crew itself, or in some capacity, you think? What that that what um, the wire like? You, people think that what is shown on the wire is actually true. Yeah, like they it's like they picture. Like I've been to Baltimore a few times. But I know a, very, a lot of people have never been to Baltimore, but when you talk about Baltimore, they think Baltimore is like the wire. Not like I mean, <laughs> you know I mean? I mean the wire. The wire told a story about a particular family or gang or whatever. Um, that's not what all Baltimore is like. That's just a, one story of a time in Baltimore's history. Right. Um, um. So what you see on the wire? Yeah, I mean. There's, you know, that little aspect there, but it's not, like, thuggish and stuff like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, although, what's going on now, <laughs> you can probably <laughs> say it is just the wire. Because yeah. um, I think there is a gang war um, a, a happening here. Some Something's going down here, and I think it's gang-related, the Black Gorilla gang or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call them. Um, right. some, something's going down, and... and some infighting's happening, so um, hopefully the police and, and citizens will will kind of work that out. Right, um, right. But there, you know, there are parts of the city that is um, really charming, and and but people here in Baltimore, Maryland, you know, we're pretty nice. You know, we we don't bite people's heads off and we don't you know, <laughs> come up to their car window like give me all your money or something like that. No. <laughs> you know. You, you get that in every you. city, you know. Every city is kind of the same, so. <laughs> so true. So true. So true. 
Now, before we get to our five questions, before we wrap it up to our five questions, I'd be remiss if I didn't rewind a little bit. You said something about you did some stuff with Prince? No, I did not do anything with Prince. We didn't get that okay. wrong. I don't know, because before I heard you say Prince, okay, we get that. Okay, well, you, you said something about you no, co-directed like something. Oh, okay. All right, just checking. Just checking. Let me come off up. So here comes our five questions. Are you ready? Okay. All right, here's your five questions. If you were not an actress, what would you be doing? If I wasn't an actress, what would I be doing? I'd probably be uh-huh. uh, in law enforcement. Okay, all right. Second question. Favorite movie and why? Oh, gosh. Um, we'll give you two. We'll give you two. Um, well, Lady Hawk has um, Rocket Howard and, oh, God, what is her name? I can't believe I forgot her name. Um, <laughs> I watched that movie like 20 freaking times. Um, um, Matthew Broderick's in it, too. Um, I like the love story aspect of it, you know? Um, you know, you had the Pope, like, interfering with with the, with the love story there. So, you know, I liked it, you know. All right, all right. So let's see, worst movie. Now, worst I know you're in the movie? business. I know you're in the business, so you may not want to say it. If you want to describe it, you can feel free. <laughs> so. Yeah, <laughs> Worst movie? Uh, I I tend to block them out. <laughs> <laughs> um, God, I don't know. Um, that that's a hard one. I mean, there okay. there are some films that are just like really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know the film. I see these budgets now. Fourth yeah. question for you. Fourth question. Fourth question for you. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. What actor out there inspires you? What actor inspires me? Uh-huh. Um, or person. We'll, we'll, we'll spread it out. Actor or person. Well, acting-wise, Sidney Poitier, Cicely Tyson. Um, mm. um, person, my mom. Mm-hmm. Hey, Mom. How are you? Yeah, she's not listening. <laughs> Oh no, she you you'll find a way to get to her, trust me. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, you know, Cicely Tyson and Sydney Portier, I mean, especially Sydney, because, you know, he came mm. to the States not long right. not long not knowing English. Mm. And, you know, he taught himself English, how to speak it and all, and to become really? one of the um one of the first African Americans to win an Oscar. Mm. Um and if you ever seen the movie To Serve with Love, mm-hmm. oh, my mm-hmm. God. <laughs> and, and guess who's coming to dinner? Oh, right. my gosh. <laughs> so, you know, that's so good. And um, and Cicely Tyson, the story of Miss Jane Pittman. Mm-hmm. The water fountain thing. Yes. Mm. Yes, at the end, her mm. childhood, so-called childhood friend. Oh mm. my God, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ruin it for anybody who has not seen that film. Right. But uh, you know, you have, if you haven't seen it, people who haven't seen it should see it. Right. All right, all right. And the last question: the You are a producer. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman, not the story. <laughs> 
<laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, I remember that one. See, I, I, I remember that era of television, but that's mm-hmm. we, have to, we, have, we have to do it on the part two of our, 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 our interview. Last question okay. here. You are a producer of a studio. We'll call it uh, Big Merge. Is, uh, is the studio is Paramount Sony have merged. And you have the right to green light any sequel to any movie. What movie would it be and why? Any sequel to any movie? Yep. A sequel oh. to any movie. Um, gosh. Mm-mm-mm. Um, I would say Blade, but, but I, there is the film that, oh God, what is the name of it? That Wesley was supposed to have done, but he didn't do it. He passed it up for Blade. It was that, uh. The Western? No, what's that superhero guy? Black Panther. Panther, yes. Mm-hmm. I okay. was like so hoping they would do something like that, you know, put some more um, um, superheroes of color. Right, you know? right. Let me. Well, all right, so that we got that. So Black Black Panther, huh? Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you couldn't get Wesley Snipes, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. If you couldn't get Wesley Snipes, who would you want? Let's cast it now. Who would you want to play that yeah. role? Um, probably. Oh, God. Oh, my God. He's going to kill me. Um, either. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I can't believe we got his name. He's going to kill me. Brad Pitt? Either Mike. Yeah, either Michael J. White or um, Jug. Which Jug's the last name? <laughs> um, he's gonna kill me. Um, he used to be. He did some cameos with um, with his brother on Stargate SG One and all that. Um, Stargate. God, Black Brothers. What Tequila or something like that? No, 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 no. Yeah. He, oh God. He's. Oh my God. He's gonna kill me. I'm so sorry. Probably after I get off the phone with you. Yeah. Um. Uh, then I'm like, that's what? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God, I can't believe it. Oh, man, I'm I'm so sorry. Um, but he um, he and his brother, they're really good. Um, excellent actors here. I'm on Facebook trying to pull up his name real quick. Um, <laughs> you, you know who I'm talking about. Oh, Michael Jai? Well, Michael Jai, but um, there's a... Um, Another another actor. Um, <laughs> and she's thinking. Oh, yeah, she's yeah. Thinking. How many? How how long do I have? <laughs> like ten seconds. <laughs> okay. Oh my god. Oh my god. This is so wrong. This is so wrong. <laughs> oh my god. Well, I'm gonna give. I'm gonna fax you. I'm gonna like text you his name, and then you're gonna give him a shout out. <laughs> <laughs> or we'll just lead off the next show with the question. So there we go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I cannot believe I forgot his name. He's so going to kill me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you. So, on that note, my dear, let's get let's wrap it up here with the birthday girl to Miss Don Douglas. We definitely have to do a sequel since we got you on the air. I know it's because you're always doing stuff out there, so I'm actually glad we got you on. I, I, mean, I wish I knew you was on earlier. I'm like, wait a minute. I'd have, like, brought you in. We did the whole show. But since we talked about the Underground Railroad, we talked about the speech by President Obama, stuff like that. 
I'll play a particular song to take us on the road with that kind of theme. And all I want to do is say thank you to you, and you have a great birthday, and I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you enjoyed it also. And let's definitely figure out a way to schedule a part two in the near future, and then we'll lead okay. off with the actor you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I cannot believe I forgot. Oh, he, oh he's still going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, my dear. Here we go. So here's your group, and I'll talk to you later. All right. Talk to you, Saeed. All right, my one. dear. You too. Right. Good night. Enjoy the cut.
people. Live and direct from L.A. It's a blast having Don on the show. I want to thank you again for taking the time to hang out with us. You know, those are the kind of conversations I like. I like talking to the people, and you guys make this happen. So there's some stuff you want to converse about, reach out, and let's have that conversation. Yeah, I really enjoyed this show, and she gave a lot of insightful knowledge, a lot of insightful info about, you know, life, especially the part in reference to the recent. I'm going bring that up actually in class where she talked about it just hit her that she's on a bike, and it took a while to make the journey. Imagine if you're on foot, and, man, I can just, I can, you know, that's something, I think it's a component that's really lost in today's society in reference to the struggle where everything is an instant, 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 you know, even communication. You know, I like calling people, not just texting all the time. You know, texting is cool, but sometimes you want to talk to that person. And I think, you know, I think uh, the struggle when you have 15 minutes of fame for this or 15 minutes of fame for that, instead of those 20 years overnight successes, I think those are the people that really have the longevity because they understand the grind. And when we do our show, we talk about uh, the panel on casting directors and literally, literally agent, literal, literally literary agents at Comic-Con, they gave some very insightful things. and I'll probably do it sometime during the week, probably 30, 45 minutes, and I'll just read the you know questions they ask. You can find me on Facebook also. And, you know, if you want, I think, you know, I'll get a little plug here. If you want to know more about this, uh, the journey she was talking about for about the Underground Railroad, look for Don on Facebook, Don Douglas, and reach out there, and I'm sure she can, you know, share the knowledge of that journey and things like that. And I always say, Someone knows, someone that you need to know, so never know. You might be the person that funds the whole project or what have you, but, you know, it's very profound, very profound. That really moved me knowing about that journey because, you know, I come from the continent, and I remember how we were treated, and I'm a big proponent about knowing your history because once you know your history and once you know what you've overcome, there's really nothing <laughs> that can stop you, and I mean nothing that can stop you. The only thing that could probably stop you is yourself. And that's what I would say to people these days. So on that note, let's wrap it up. You can't say the bingo society today. Let's let Tupac take us out of here. All right, until the end of time, I'll still love you guys. You'll love you ladies. Let's rule the world. Tupac, take us home.
such. Shit, ain't blessed to smile in a long while. An unexpected birth works at a ghetto town. My attitude got me walking solo, ride all alone in my Lolo, watching the whole world move in slow mo. For quiet times disappear, listen to the ocean. Smoking poor stick, my thoughts in the stack of posted. Who can I trust in this cold world? My phony homie had a baby by my old girl. But I ain't tripping, I'm a player, I ain't sweating him. I said the sister had a mummy like a Mexican. This Mexican, no remorse, it was meant to happen. Besides rapping, only thing I did good was scrapping. Until the end of time. Today, the sidekick of the Binga, Levin Direct. All I can say to you guys is, rule the world. I'm gone. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.